Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 134 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is September 9th, 2010. Got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk a little Hawaii. USC won their opener in the islands. We're also going to talk about Virginia. We have Chris Wallace from uh, CavsCorner.com on the Rivals Network. He's going to tell us all we need to know about the University of Virginia and the football team. If you have any questions or comments for us, we've got a lot of those coming today. You can always drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or pick up the phone and leave us a voicemail. 206-888-6755 is our voicemail box number. Just give it a call. We can play your voicemail on the podcast and answer your question. All right. And we have, in the first segment, as always, Coach Harvey High. He's been busy now that the season has started. Not gallivanting all over creation all these fun spots vegas or catalina or anything how you doing coach great man i'm doing great here we go again with a great football season i'm through a training camp i'm back at it and i'm really looking forward to a great football season i am too coach and usc started off one and oh it's a good start there was obviously some concerns there on the defense we're going to get to that but i wanted to thank our friends at southern california tickets sctickets.com They've been really nice enough to sponsor the podcast pretty much from the beginning. So thank you for that. 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number if you need tickets for anything. And, of course, USC's got some upcoming home games, including Virginia this weekend. Give give them a call, 1-800-888-7287, or go to sctickets.com. And Coach, I guess we will look back a little bit at the Hawaii game first. We got some questions on that, too. But maybe get your quick thoughts on what you felt went on over there in the islands. Well, you know, uh, first of all, the score, 49-36, you normally think if you score 49 points, you're blowing out somebody and you're going to cover the spread. Uh, Offensively, I think they performed magnificently. Uh, As good as I remember an offensive team in the first game playing, I really do. I think if they did anything wrong, they they scored too quickly. The defense never had a chance to regroup or rest and and, 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 and they uh, adjust or do whatever they have to do. Uh, they didn't keep really the defense off the field, especially when Ron Johnson returned that punt. The defense played for two series in a row without getting any rest whatsoever. So I, I think that offensively most people should be really satisfied with the performance. I thought the offensive line answered a lot for me. I thought the offensive line played great. Uh, they allowed uh, Mark Tyler to have those type of rushes. They pass blocked well. Uh, I don't think. Uh, well, I I noticed in Monday's or Tuesday's paper that they were giving some given some credit, but I think they should have been given a lot more credit than what they were given uh, as far as playing their first game together. And thank goodness nobody got injured. They're all okay and they're ready to go again. So I think that the offensive line, if anything. Uh, could have been my player of the game if I picked such a thing here on the podcast, but I don't. So uh, I thought that uh, that the defense uh, was disappointing, and I, and I really think that it was more embarrassing than disappointing to the coaches and the players because the defense had been built up to be the strong point of the USC team this year, and uh, I think they were embarrassed. When you embarrass coaches like you know, Monty Kiffin and Orgeron and Barry and, and so on, coaches that have this pride, uh, it's very hard for them to adjust. And I think that they said that in a couple of articles this week in the newspaper. I said it immediately Monday morning on a Trojan Brunch show that you have to be very careful now. You have to build up uh, and correct some things that happen with the Trojan football team. Number one, the negative things first, obviously. You've got to cut back on the penalties. You can't have 11 penalties for 100 yards. You're never going to beat anybody that's any good. You just can't. You just can't do that. The next thing you have to do is you've got to make sure you build the confidence back on the defense. You've got to have a great defensive game against Virginia, or the defense will start to doubt themselves. I think you uh, also on defensively you really have to improve your tackling. How you do that? I don't think you do it without 
going full speed in tackle, if, even if it's in individual drills. You've got to learn to settle up, uh, put your arms around, not block people down. And even if someone's made five or six yards, you've got to be able to give them the five or six yards and make the play. So many yards were made extra. They were short passes and tackles were broken and and, and, and big gains came from that. I think also they got to work on their coverages as far as making sure people are getting to the right zones and their man techniques and pass defense, such as the, uh, you know, the, uh, the past interference calls they had, which came at the wrong time, just came at the wrong time. They didn't put a real rush on Hawaii, which I think the coaches are disappointed with. Uh, they didn't dominate the defensive front as what a lot of people expected. So I think you'll work on that. But again, remember, big guys against a fast, quick team equalizes everything. So, you know, a lot of people you see now on defense going to thinner defensive players that run around and swarm you more. Because remember, when a team runs plays quickly, one after the other, some don't even huddle like Oregon and others. Well, when you have big guys, 6'1", 6'2", 320 pounds, 310 pounds, their conditioning is not the same as a guy that's 6'5", 245, 250. So you've got to get them off the field, and you've got to have enough players to rotate them so they can go full speed 100%. So they're going to have to work on that in the future, but they're going to play a lot of teams that don't huddle, and that's going to speed up the game a great deal. So offensively, I thought they played well. Defensively, when you give up 588 yards, no matter what, it's not good. Special teams-wise, I thought it was a great improvement. If I had anybody to give a most valuable player on the special teams, too. I give it to Jacob uh, Huffman. Why? The balls were kicked into the end zone four times, no returns. Good field position for the first time in many years for the defense to come in, forcing Hawaii to drive for long yards. Uh, the punt return, what can I say? Johnson did a great job on that. The two-point plays were never explained to people what Baxter was trying to do. He's done that for 13 years at Fresno State, yet the broadcasting team never once addressed that for the people, at least the TV broadcasting team. I will not say the radio broadcasting team didn't, but they never explained that that's called a swinging gate. You line up in that, you see what they give you, you shift back inside, and you kick the extra point. I think the only mistake that was made on that, normally on the first touchdown of the game, you don't go for two. You look and see exactly how they line up. So if you don't need it, or if you do need it later on the game, you call a certain thing or you tell Mustaine to look for that play and you execute that play. So it's nothing new. We've seen it all the time. In fact, I used it every year. And why do you use that swinging gate? Because every week when you play a team, they've got to learn to defense it. They've got to say they can do this, they can do that, they can do this. And once you teach it at SC, you don't have to teach it again. But every team that plays, you have to take time away from their game plan to work on that. So I'm not sure how many times they punted uh, SC once or twice, I think. So I thought the punt coverage was good and the punter was good. So uh, overall, I thought the special teams were better than they've ever been. Uh, I thought that uh, the key play of the game, the turnaround play of the game, was Ron Johnson's kickoff return for the touchdown. But the momentum of the football game had started to go towards Hawaii. It was 27-16. They had just scored. The punt return made it 34-16, and it separated it for a moment and changed the momentum. Yet Hawaii never gave up, and I told everybody. I coached at the University of Hawaii. These type of football teams, these Polynesian kids will never quit. Never quit, no matter what the score is. And, you know, they played all the way down to the end. So I, that's a, a, not a short, brief uh, summary. That's a, that's a long one, and I'm sorry I took so much time. That's okay. We have no time for questions, Coach. No <laughs> That's okay. We have uh, we have some defensive questions, so let's jump right into those. I, obviously, that's where a lot of the USC fans are concerned with. Here is the uh, first one up from our good friend, Tarion. Hi, guys. This is Tarion. Interesting game, wasn't it? Uh, given what the defense did, I have this question for you, Coach. Um, in the past, when you were coaching, and you had one of your teams or a part of the team just played unexpectedly poorly, uh, did you? What would you do in a situation like that? Not that uh, I'm just pointing to the defense from last game, but I was wondering um, what would be your approach when either the team or a part of the team just plays what is obvious to you a subpar game. Appreciate it. 
Keep the good well, work. Well, thank you. I tell you, I appreciate you calling in because I wish I had the answer for that because it's happened to everybody in coaching. Basically, what you try to do is when you're getting beat a lot on defense, then I would, if I was a defensive coordinator or a head coach, I'd tell my defensive coach to go back and play base defense. I wouldn't take any chances. I'd go back and play a base zone. Or I'd go back and play my base defense, something that I play the best. I would try to get my kids in their familiar situation, maybe uh, uh, give up a few things, but at least we'd play something that we weren't confused in. And then to me, uh, SC looked confused at times as far as the coverages and so on and, and p- playing a canard back 30 yards in a safety type of position and so on. He's not used to doing that or playing that type of position. So I'd go back to where my safeties are covering. Uh, that their receivers were not great receivers, but they were great receivers with great quickness that could run with the football after they caught the ball. I was really surprised that they could beat USC secondary deep, and they did that several times. The kids were wide open. In fact, there were a couple of close calls where Hawaii almost hit those long passes, which could have changed the outcome of that football game. So I would go back and play a base defense something that my kids knew how to play so they wouldn't be confused, match man and man, do my blitzes, do everything I have in my packages, maybe give up something, but I wouldn't want them to be confused. Because when a player becomes confused and they're great athletes, then they lose their athletic ability. Their athleticism leaves their body, but now they're thinking rather than playing. So I think that's the number one thing I would do uh, when my defense uh, sort of – has that type of performance, and, and I don't think that will happen much. But I'll tell you, at least I hope it doesn't happen much. But against teams like Oregon and teams that run quick offenses and line up on the football and run misdirections or run option plays, I'll tell you, you've got to be in great shape. You've got to be able to not be confused, and, and you've got to be able to rotate your players to keep them fresh to play against a fresh offense. All right, Coach. Well, thanks for that question, Terry. And if you want to call us in and leave a question, call call in and leave a question for us, 206-888-6755. Just call in, leave a voicemail, and we can play it the following week on the podcast. All right, JC wanted to give on the defense, he wanted to know what your letter grades were for each position group and why. So maybe you can go over each position group, Coach, and on the defense and tell us what you think the letter grade they would get for the day. Well, I'll tell you, that's a tough thing for me to do because they're not going to be very high, obviously. Uh, I was disappointed uh, with uh, the defensive front. I didn't think they put a rush at all on Hawaii, knowing going into the game that uh, the pass rush would have to be there. Uh, The offensive line of Hawaii, a very young offensive line, in fact, only three starters, and they all played the same position. They just moved into different positions uh, over last year, and I thought they did a decent job of pass blocking uh, USC. I didn't see a lot of quickness on the defensive line that I expected to see, and that's probably one reason I heard now that Armstead might go down inside and McPerry might come back out of the end and so on to get more quickness on the pass rush itself. You know, sometimes you're being played out of position and you need to get the guys in the right position. So the defensive front, I don't know who is responsible for some of those runs up the middle uh, by a, knees and, and also the running back, uh, but, uh, you know, they had a big hole in the middle, and whenever they ran those plays, and plays in most cases, or he scrambled, he reminded me of Jeremiah Masoli. He, he looks like him, he ran like him, and he was a very dangerous player. As far as, let me mention this, too. That hit that Mike Morgan put on on uh, Moniz is, was a complete legal hit. And to hear the broadcast team go back over and over and over and talk about, oh, that is an illegal hit, that's an illegal hit. Hey, those guys have been around football a long time. That was a legal hit, 100%. His arm never left his body. It wasn't outward swinging at the player. And he was more or less even almost protecting himself rather than tackling him. So, you know, for the broadcast team to keep talking about that and giving their opinion, if they can't give a better opinion than that, they shouldn't give an opinion at all. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. All right. So the, I didn't know if you guys wanted to hear that or not, but I, I, you're going to have to listen to that one, okay? okay. Uh, okay. So uh, I thought the defensive line maybe played uh, a C or C-minus game. Okay, from what I was really expecting against a young, inexperienced offensive line of Hawaii. The linebackers, I don't know if they were in the game. Uh, I never saw them make any big plays. 
they were more or less out of position. Uh, that type of offense that they are running, they really are covering most of the time. They might have been better off just playing two backers and another defensive lineman, or not a defensive lineman, another uh, secondary player that knew how to cover. It's very difficult for a linebacker to cover those quick receivers or get after your zones and so on. Uh, you've got to take a pass, the pass away from Hawaii and give them the run. You've got to force them to run, and eventually uh, that won't win for them, but they don't have that many plays. So the linebackers, uh, you know, I don't know what they were asked to do as far as the game plan, but, you know, I don't know how many tackles they made. The only time I saw them, most of the time, they were chasing people. So uh, I can't grade them the way I can give them a letter grade is I don't know because I don't know what their assignments were. As far as the secondary itself, very difficult situation to play. Quick receivers when you haven't really tackled live. Uh, you haven't learned to settle up. You haven't learned to to uh, uh, to wrap up and so on. If you notice, I thought the tackling was very poor. I thought a lot of the coverages were very poor. Too many pass interferences, too many guys getting beat deep and so on. Not People not getting to the right zones in the middle of the field and so on and covered two, the halves. So... You know, I think they're young, uh, a very difficult assignment in their first game to go against a team that makes their living on the passing game like they do. So I would have to say they learned a lot in this game. They learned a lot of things from this game. They can teach a lot from the video and the films on this game to the defensive backs. But overall-wise, I would not be satisfied with the performance whatsoever, and it's got to get better or you're going to get eaten up by other teams in the Pac-10. So that's my uh, appraisal of the defense, but let me tell you, it's only the first game. Things can be adjusted and fixed. Remember, when you have great athletes, you can fix things. If you don't have great athletes, you can't fix things, no matter what you're coaching. All right. Well, thanks for that one, JC. Uh, here's up from Patrick, Coach. He's a longtime listener to the podcast. He'll go on a 9- and 10-mile run and listen to the show. Wow, good job, Patrick. That's nice. Um We'll try to talk a little longer. Maybe you can get a half marathon in there. That'd be good. Uh, so after the Hawaii game, he's concerned about Monty Kiffin's defense adjusting to the spread offense. And uh, he wasn't. He doesn't think that the Tampa 2 is really built to stop the spread. And I think there's a lot of people have kind of talked about that. Um, he, he mentioned the uh, four-two-five with a quarterback spy that Ohio State used against Oregon last year. Boise State has, a, you know, against the spread, stuff like that. What do you think about the adjustments that Monty and Coach Orgeron and stuff would have to make to this kind of base defense to combat the spread where you're going to see a lot more of it in the Pac-10 this year? I don't know. Uh, they know exactly where their weaknesses were in it. I know they will make adjustments. You know, when you're a great coach, that's part of coaching is making adjustments. So they'll ask your kids to do things they can't do or put them in a position where they can't accomplish their goal. So I don't know exactly what the adjustments are. And uh, I think that they'll be able to figure this out. I'm not going to second-guess them because I don't know the defense. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. All I know is that uh, you've got to change that because, you know, the Oregon situation, the Washington situation, all these teams are going to play that run this type of offense now are going to be very dangerous because they all look at the films and they pass them around and they see what works and uh, what didn't work. So, uh, you know, I you know when you watch Oregon play, they're sort of the the professor of this type of offense, and you're going to be facing them at home later on in the year, and and uh, everyone more or less is going to this type of offense now. So you've got to make adjustments to your defense. You've got to play your defenses to stop the Wildcats, stop the spreads, uh, stop the hurry up offense. You don't see as many traditional pro offensive football teams as you have. In the past, even Michigan is running the spread. So if Michigan will go to the spread, anyone will go to the spread. You'd only see a few of the Ohio State has gone to the spread with Terrell Pryor along with their power game and so on. So Wisconsin is one that's stuck completely with the power game. So you look at your traditional teams. You look at Alabama. They have the power game, but yet they have the spread. You, you, you look around and you see more people running this type of offense because it causes problems to the defense. And that's why they run these things. They see teams with the pistol offense, like Nevada's been doing, having such great success with the pistol. So people steal from each other, and they have those coaches come in and teach them and tell them why and how they work because they have to defense them. So I think the number one thing you do is, you, you, me, I used to, the first thing I do is pick up the phone and I'll call somebody that coach would 
Skip Kelly, and I'd say, hey, buddy, if he's not on his staff now, but you coach with him, I'd say, tell me, what bothered him the most, and how do you stop that damn thing? And, I, and I'd start to talk about it with him. I'd call around the country and get people's ideas. How do you play that damn Florida? How do you play some of these damn teams? And you got to get advice and help from everybody, and Monty Kiffin knows that. Monty Kiffin has helped so many people that, that he may not need the help, but when you do, you pick up the phone and you call people and you say, hey, you know, we've played this team or you've played this team 10 times. We haven't played this team. What have you seen that they do and what do they go to after you do that? So, you know, there's a lot of telephone work during the, done during the week with coaches back and forth assisting each other on different type of offenses and defense. How you stop it, I don't know. All I know is one thing. I think you've got to run well. You've got to be able to play a base and get to it. And you got to match your your conditioning with their conditioning, so you don't get tired and fatigued, and then all of a sudden you don't have the energy to play at their level. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Patrick. One last one, Coach. It's a little interesting coaching question. Uh, this is from Ramsey, Coach Ramsey. He coaches seven and eight year olds with the SYFL. I'm not sure what that is, but he's coaching some kids. He wants to know how long it should take for a running back or fullback to hit the hole on a dive play. So the quarterback gives him the ball. What's the time he's got to get through that hole or gap before it closes? What do you think? Well, I tell you, it's a, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. First of all, how deep is your dive back, and what is your philosophy? Is he reading a tackles block? Are you double down and optioning the tackle like he, you're going to? Are you definitely calling it a dive? You're not reading the play. It depends how deep that back is. If that back is up on the line of scrimmage and you have a quick hitter then all that the quarterback does is step down the line and hands that ball, and he, that quarterback's got to hustle to get to him. If you're looking for a little daylight and you want to read the, the block of the guard and the tackle, depending where your hole is, then you might get a little deeper. I think it's real important that the back has a secure feel of the ball, has it in his arms, and then can read the block. If you're going to do a turn block or whatever you're trying to do for that back to find a daylight to run. So if you're trying to do a real quick hitter, and you're running the gaps, let's say, or you're running behind the tackle, whatever way that tackle takes his player, you're going to break on. You can get up a little bit. But, I, again, it depends on the depth of where you line your back up, on how deep he is for a dive play. It depends if you're just running a straight dive or you're running an option off the dive. If you're running a fullback dive where you just do a reverse pivot and give it to the fullback straight up the middle to do a little trap or the open dive right up the middle with the fullback, or if you give the halfback a dive like the old split T, it depends exactly what you're trying to accomplish and how deep you line your back up. Because timing is everything. If you give the ball too early and you're too deep, then the guy gets off the block and makes the tackle in the backfield. So you've got to hit the hole or give your back an opportunity that when that lineman ties, even if he ties, I used to tell my lineman, if you tie, and it's equal, my back is a great athlete, will make yards, because he'll make his break off of your move. So all you guys up front, just tie and allow our athlete to make the move. All right. Well, Coach, thanks for that. And Coach Ramsey, good luck with you and the, uh, your coaching endeavors going forward. Thanks for uh, writing into the Peristyle Podcast. And thank you, Coach, for joining us. We're going to listen to you this week on the weekend, uh, over the weekend, talking about the Virginia Cavaliers. And I guess we'll talk to you again next week on the podcast. Ryan, I hope so, buddy. Again, we want to thank everybody for checking in with us. Have a great week. And college football, here we go. We are back, college football. All right, thanks, Coach. Everyone else, we're back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk some more Trojan football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber, who was over there in Hawaii. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Hey, uh, Ryan. 
I'm glad to be back here. Glad, uh, glad for the home game this week. Uh, <laughs> in a season when we've got seven, you know, a record seven road games, uh, and uh, just one of the first uh, fours at home, uh, it's good to be home this week. Yeah, certainly. It was a, it was a long trip over there. What what you like? Do you like Hawaii? Was it fun? <laughs> I'm not a big Hawaii guy. I don't know. Maybe I get uh, claustrophobic or whatever, or island fever or. Or, uh, you know, and if you're going to spend most of it in Honolulu, uh, it's uh, it's a long way to go. Uh, it is. I don't. I'm not crazy about Aloha Stadium. I don't know that it's the best, exactly the best turf, and there's a lot of glare in the stadium and and uh, that kind of thing. So uh, it wouldn't be where I would choose to open a season. But uh, you know, I know uh, you know Coach Carroll always. Uh, he he had a you know home over there and he kind of liked it and I do think the, the fact that like this year it gives you an extra game in effect you know you know you're getting like a game condition scrimmage you're getting 13 games uh, you got a young team that's probably not not the worst thing except for the fact that they play so differently from anybody else you're going to play uh, you know, I mean, maybe the fact that they, you know, they're they're uh, uh, sideline to sideline and they throw the ball. Uh, they don't do it like anybody else, but uh, uh, you know, uh, there's some pluses. But it wouldn't be the first game I I I want to book necessarily. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if USC decides to continue uh, this series in future years after uh, the next two games that end this contract. All right. Well, we've got a bunch of questions, Dan, so let's get to some of those. Okay. Um, first one, it's a voicemail question. If you want to leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755 is a number. Just call that number, leave a voicemail, and address it to whoever you want. We'll try to answer your question and play your, your call on the podcast. This one is from Sam. He's talking about the running backs. Hi, Ryan. This is Sam. I had a question for the podcast. This week we heard a lot about um, Curtis McNeil coming up on the season, and they said how he was the most consistent back at practice and this and that, and then we didn't really see him too much in the Hawaii game. I was curious if you guys knew a reason he was buried so deep on the depth chart, and I was also curious if we would see more of um, Stanley Havili in the backfield. So that was it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Well, uh, he's still listed. Uh, I mean, basically what they did, clearly they concentrated – on uh, on the upperclassmen, on Mark Tyler, they wanted Mark to get as many reps as he could get uh, when it when Allen kind of uh, took that uh, you know uh, hit on his knee, uh, and then C.J. Gable is going to get his reps. Uh, what happened in, uh, in in spring and in preseason a little bit is Curtis was kind of used whenever they used Dylan Baxter in a, a particular formation that I'm still not sure we're allowed to actually identify, but uh, the two of them would be in there together. And because of the fact that Dylan Baxter wasn't going to be played in the uh, uh, Hawaii game and they weren't going to use that particular formation and, and what have you, uh, we didn't see any of Curtis either. So uh, we've seen a lot of him, you know, in the uh, uh, – on the service team, we've seen him, you know, do a lot of work uh, in practice against the horse. I mean, I, it is a problem if you want to have Mark Tyler, you know, Alan Bradford and C.J. Gable ready, and you're getting Dylan Baxter ready to come back this week. Uh, you pretty much, no matter how long practices are, you pretty much run out of repetitions uh, for five guys. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's certainly been, you know, been part of the equation there. Uh, as to Stanley Avili, I think, uh, you know, they, I think they kind of hold him back a little bit for whenever they think they need him and they didn't think they actually needed him. Not that he's not out there, just that they don't look for him on that wheel route out of the backfield and what have you. I think that's going to be, uh, you know, a week-by-week situation where when they look at it and say, you know, what these guys are doing on defense, they're not gonna. They're gonna run out of people to match up against Stanley, and so we're gonna take advantage of it. Uh, so I think at any time you could see Stanley, uh, uh, you know, on that wheel route. Uh, it, it people do run out of, you know, maybe they don't have a linebacker that can run with him, 
or they're, you know, and they kind of react in ways in which they're going to leave him unaccounted for. I wouldn't be surprised any time when you, you know, that they go to him and go, you know, getting the, the ball downfield. Uh, and they work on it all the time, and it's never not going to be in their repertoire. I think last year maybe it did get lost a little bit until they resurrected it for the uh, Boston College game. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't worry that, you know, they're going to forget about Stanley. I think they they know he, he catches the ball every day, and he's just kind of amazing uh, uh, the way he does catch the ball. So, uh, no, they're not going to. Uh, but I think it's going to come, you know, come and go. Some games you'll see him uh, used uh, significantly more than other games. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Sam. Uh, next one up, Dan, is from Ryan. It's a Reggie Bush question, but we're not going to talk about the Heisman. I think everyone's kind of sick of talking about that. Everyone knows who won the Heisman that year. They take it away or not. I think people will still know. But they want to know that the U- the school now has to erase him from their record books. This is Ryan from Mission Viejo, not me. Uh, he wanted to know, um, should they unretire Reggie Bush's number and let some other emerging running back wear it if they so choose? What do you think about that? Mm, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Now that you say that, I uh, hadn't thought of it. I don't know that they have. Uh, whether that would, you know, bring more attention, uh, whether that would put undue pressure on the particular kid that has been given number five. Did you give number five to a walk-on who, uh, you know, earns a spot on the team and just, you know, in, in effect, you know, make it another number? Interesting. Uh I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I kind of like the walk-on yeah. idea. That would, it would be a, instead of like putting pressure on a Dylan Baxter or something to be the next Reggie Bush. I mean, we've seen that with McKnight. That didn't work out so well. You've seen it with, with Baxter who's trying to, you know, forge his own path. It'd be kind of neat if you gave it to like the, or the special teams player or whatever, something like that. It would be interesting. Yeah. That might be the direction I'd go. Uh, although I, I do think Dylan Baxter is for some reason, He's not like Joe McKnight in terms of that that would be a presser thing. He just seems to roll on out there and not, I'm not sure stuff like that would bother him. I, I just, he's just, he's sort of a, a unique character. He is. And that uh, <laughs> he, he just is Dylan Baxter. And it's like, he's so one of a kind in some of the things he does. Once you see him uh, or talk to him, you realize, you know, he's not not going to be affected very much by people saying he's going to be the next so-and-so or so-and-so. But you wouldn't need to do that with him, even though that's how people are going to talk. Uh, And even, you know, up to Coach Pittman, that's how they talk. But but possibly somebody who, you know, needs a number and and you give them that number. Uh, It's an interesting thought. And, uh, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, that's a good. Uh, that's a good observation. All right. Well, we, that was one Very Ryan. Nice. We got another Ryan with a question. Lots of Ryans here. That's a good name. I like this. this is good stuff. But yes, this is, is. interesting. This, this is an interesting Ryan's one too, on Dan. Yeah. <laughs> um, what if the NFL Players Association decides to have a lockout next season or longer? Would it benefit? Would it be a benefit? Would it be a benefit to USC, given the fact that they would otherwise end up losing some juniors? To the draft with this, you know USC keeps a few extra players around for depth. No season equals no draft equals no early exits. Correct? What do you think about something like that? Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, it's already benefited USC, and that uh, I think they were able to uh, uh, possibly come up with uh, some of the assistant coaches because of the potential turmoil in the league and what's going to happen to coaches' contracts and. Uh, things like that in the next year or two. Uh, I think it made it uh, for schools like USC that, that could approach, uh, uh, you know, some big-time uh, assistant coaches. Uh, I think it made it uh, a kind of – and I think that's probably some of the motivation that was behind whatever the heck was behind the uh, Tennesseans trying to sue whoever they were trying to sue over Kennedy Pola. I mean, they, they were just – silliness uh uh you know on display but i think that was the nfl maybe reacting a little bit to the possibility of the lockout the lockout then i think as far as players 
I mean, I think, you know, a kid that's finishing his junior year, and you can look at some of the USC kids, although uh, uh, some of the ones we were thinking about maybe going to have to step up their act uh, uh, based on, uh, you know, how the first game went uh, before they would be the kind of kids that, you know, could leave for the NFL. But uh, I would think a lot of people would advise kids that um, it's not in your best interest to take off for a league that might not be playing and might not be paying you when you could stay, get your senior year in, and go the next year when, uh, you know, hopefully there's a settlement and a contract and you know where you're going. Uh, but you would think uh, it would really make kids think twice about jumping, uh, you know, off the, the diving board into a, you know, a pool that might be drained by the time they hit it. Uh, I would uh, I would think definitely it will be in this unique scholarship sanction situation uh, the NFL uh, lockout possibility will be a real plus for USC. All right, that's an interesting point, Ryan. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, this one's from Matt. He asked before if USC was still one of the top three or four most talented teams. I keep hearing how in two or three years. USC will be a middle-of-the-road team with the sanctions. Personally, I feel that the way this staff recruits, SC can maintain a very high level as they have the past uh, past years minus last season. What do you think about that? I think, uh, you know, clearly they are right now. I think if you – now, again, if somebody points out, look at the, uh, you know, the recruiting rankings and all that and, and say, you know, look at Boise State's recruiting rankings, look at where they are, look at, you know, Oregon's recruiting rankings, look at where they are. So, do you, you know, what do you, you know, in terms of uh, uh, talent, how do, you, how do you look at that? Uh, and, and to say, you know, who, who has the most talent or whatever, clearly uh, in terms of recruiting rankings, uh, I don't know if there's a team in the country that has a, you know, first, 22 or uh, uh, a first-team depth chart that has as many uh, recruiting stars as USC is going to put on the field. Uh, and then if you look at the other end, look at the NFL, the guys in the NFL, what was it? Somebody said the other day, and I guess that's right. Everybody that, you know, the seven kids from USC made rosters this year off of last year's 9-4 and four team, including, uh, what, three kids that, that left early. Uh, and in a draft where everybody said, boy, that's not a good draft for USC, uh, you know, still productive in terms of NFL talent. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to change a lot. I think USC will still produce uh, a lot of NFL talent. And if that's what, you know, the top kids are, you know, coming out of high school are looking for, uh, I don't think that changes a lot. The fact that Pete also didn't really require uh, 25 uh, signees every year or even more as a lot of, you know, big-time programs do. Uh, I don't think – I think other schools, if they got knocked down to 15 scholarships a year, would be hurt more than USC. USC just hasn't gone that, uh, you know, we need to recruit 25 every year uh, to keep the program going. USC has been more selective and – I think, you know, the retention has been has been better. You you don't see them, you know, like there are schools in the Pac-10 that four years ago signed 35 kids, uh, you know, off and on, and they, they worked it out the numbers-wise somehow, and, uh, you know, they, they're certainly not all around. Uh, uh, so I think USC has a better chance of maintaining, uh, even with the limited numbers, maintaining their, their quality level, uh, just because of the, the way they've done it over the years. Yeah, and then even obviously if an appeal happens and they get some reduction, that would even be a bigger benefit for USC. But thanks yeah, for if they, if they go back to the numbers that they're they're looking for uh, and get the five more a year, I don't think it has that much of an effect. I mean, actually, what's having an effect now is uh, is uh, Pete's uh, uh, you know really uh, uh, cutting back on recruiting. I mean, they were really uh, you know. Uh, at a fairly low level, and then the fact that the NCA uh, tried to, you know, hit the double whammy, you know, by giving them the, you know, get out of jail free car transfer immediately, 
which is probably the most sinister thing the NCA NCA's done in this whole thing. I mean, they've done a lot of bad things. That one's really almost uh, 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 evil and malevolent, I think, really. They're really trying to hurt hurt kids and, 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 and make USC play with, with players that are hurt and make USC, uh, you know, I, I, that one makes me uh, pretty unhappy uh, that the NCA, not only were they going to take scholarships away, but they were going to try to encourage kids to leave the program at the very last minute and be unreplaceable. And I, I think that's almost, uh, uh, that's unforgivable. I think the NCA, uh, uh, you know, you wish somehow the people that were involved with that in the NCA could be uh, disciplined somehow. That, that's wrong, and, um, and that should not have been allowed. Uh, you see on the practice field, you see uh, USC having to make decisions every day that, that, you know, about kids and injuries and things that, that I, I mean, I wish somebody would have challenged the NCA in terms of the health issues involved and what, it, what is actually involved if you're going into a 13-game schedule and you really have barely enough players. Uh, and, and USC obviously had barely enough time to react in any way, shape, or form to, uh, to the sanctions and the rulings. And you know, I know the NCAA can say, well, they dragged it out. It wasn't our fault except for the fact that who ends up bearing the, you know, the brunt of the penalty is the kids on the field, the kids that are having to deal with, uh, uh, with conditions that they had nothing to do with bringing about. Uh, and, you know, I think this coaching staff's done a, an absolutely magnificent job in trying to handle all this and handling it, you know, with just, uh, you know, let's go get them and do the best we can and not, you know, not take any chances with anybody. But, uh, uh, but I thought for the NCA to be able to, you know, come ever come again and say, well, we're really interested in the uh, health and welfare and the well-being of the players. That would be a hard case for the NCA to make after what they've done to USC. Uh, and I don't think a lot has been made of that because USC's kind of just handled it and sucked it up and and gone ahead. But it's just uh, when you see it every day. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty disgraceful, I think, for the NCA, and pretty um, almost embarrassing if uh, they ever had to defend that somewhere in terms of uh, of how the uh, how this has come down on USC. But that's all good points, thing. Dan. <laughs> well, we want to get one last thought in before uh, we're going to talk to Chris Wallace from CavsCorner.com, get his thoughts on Virginia. Just maybe something you either seen with Virginia or how you think this team's going to bounce back and be, you know between the Hawaii game and Virginia game, some kind of thought going into the Virginia game for USC fans on what you expect to see. Well, I like what uh, I was talking to some of the defensive coaches last night, and I know people, you know, people are you know excited about getting Nick Perry back or you know schemes and things like this. And then maybe some adjustments based on, you know, the first game and what have you. If you talk to the players and the coaches, I think essentially it's we just have to play better. I mean, for some reason, and they really don't – you can't get an explanation exactly because I don't think they absolutely know. I know I was talking to Sharice Wright a good bit after practice last night. He said they, they don't have a sense that they were that bad – they don't feel like they were that bad, but they know you just look at the numbers and you realize something, you know, bad happened in terms of how the defense played. And it's not like there's some magic bullet out there. They just have to play better. And they keep, you know, say, we're going to play better. And they're going to, you know, face a much more traditional team. I have a feeling they went in there, they were thinking too much, they were trying to do too much. They did, you know, as a result, far too little. Uh, I think this will this will be a, you know a team that comes right at you you know with a with an attack that's going to you know remind them of uh, you know what USC does every day uh, and I, I I like that this is a, a really good matchup they've got a you know six foot three two hundred and fifty five pound tailback he supposedly runs you know under a four four you know runs uh, under a four five anyway. Uh, and they've got, you know, a guy that throws the ball down the field and they challenge you on defense. And uh, I think it's the kind of game, uh, it's a perfect game to open at home. Uh, a decent team uh, with decent athletes, guys that will be playing in the NFL. 
uh, a new coaching staff also. Uh, I think it's just a good uh, it's a good week to see, you know, no nothing fancy, nothing you know, no schemes, no new looks or anything else, or, or really new players. Just come on, let's get it together. Let's play like we played, especially for the defense. Let's play like we played in the spring. Let's play like we played in the fall, uh, and just go out and play. And that didn't happen in Hawaii for probably a whole lot of reasons. Uh, but it should happen this week, I would think. Uh, if it doesn't, then you know people are going to have to start thinking, well, okay, now what? But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, so I think if I'm a USC fan, I say, I just say, come on, let's go out and play, and uh, and and you know, show us what we think you can do. And I, I get the feeling that will happen, but. Uh, it makes it worthwhile, you know, to go to the games and see. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be this year's story is uh, let's just see what happens. This is going to be interesting. I think it's got the potential to be a really interesting year. Uh, and that's one of the great things about sports. You don't know. Go out and watch the game and see. You don't know until you get there. All right. Well, hey, Dan, we appreciate it. Thanks very much for uh, all the time. And we'll, we'll see you out there at the Coliseum on Saturday. And we'll talk to you next week on the podcast. Very good. Thanks, Ryan. All Enjoy right, everyone it. else. Bye. Bye-bye. Back in 30 seconds, let's talk with Chris Wallace and learn about the Virginia Cavaliers. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a special guest this segment. We are joined by Chris Wallace. He is the publisher of CavsCorner.com. It's the uh, Virginia site on the Rivals.com network. He's going to tell us all about Virginia Cavaliers and what we can expect this weekend at the Coliseum. Chris, thanks for joining us. How are you? My pleasure. How are you doing, Ryan? Pretty good. We got the football season underway. Uh, I, I, I guess what, maybe give us a, a rundown of what you think the Virginia fans' expectations for this season coming in were. You know, I, it's interesting. I think they're excited about the change, you know, at the top in terms of Mike London taking over for Al Groh. Groh sort of, you know, really had things going in the wrong direction in nine years, especially the last couple of years. And so I think Virginia fans are pretty excited about bringing a guy in who, who seems to maybe get it a little bit better in terms of what college football is all about. But I think most are realistic in terms of understanding that, you know, this is a going to be a bit of a rebuilding job. They're going to have to upgrade talent in certain places and that, you know, there's not going to be huge dividends probably right away this season in terms of wins. But, but overall, I think people are excited about, the new the new regime and that sort of showed Saturday night they played Richmond obviously not a big opponent an FCS team but had a big crowd for the game and there was certainly a lot of enthusiasm among the fans and you know I think they're excited about the future of the program but in terms of what to expect this season I think they know that there'll be some uh, lumps along the way and Mike London's a you know interesting guy he he's been back and forth between uh, Richmond and Virginia and if I'm not mistaken when he left Virginia to go coach, be the head coach at Richmond. His first game was against Virginia. Then he left, you know, Richmond to become the head coach of Virginia. His his first game was against Richmond. So there's there's a lot of history there between between him and those two schools. Yeah, there is, and he's actually a, a Richmond alum. He went to school at Richmond, so it's a pretty interesting situation. But he's a he's a guy who grew up in Virginia. You know, was an assistant coach with the Cavaliers for a long time. Um, before, you know, taking the job at Richmond. He spent one year in the NFL, Houston Texans, but about six years in, in Charlottesville as an assistant before the, the two-year stint, and now he's back. And and like I said, he's brought a lot of excitement. Uh, he's really gotten out and worked hard to try to reinvigorate the fan base. 
you know, really asked them for their support and, and made it clear to them that they're needed in order to help turn Virginia football around. And, and he's done a, he's done an excellent job in, in terms of sort of generating a little, a little excitement for, for a program where apathy was sort of the, the name of the game the last couple of years. Now, before we start talking about the USC Virginia game, maybe the USC fans might be curious to see what, uh, how did Aaron Corp look? He was a, quarterback at USC transferred over to Richmond he got the start against Virginia seemed to play okay what what did you guys think of his play I thought he looked pretty good actually especially through the first two and a half quarters or so while the game was close he made a some nice throws he showed a little bit of the escapability in the pocket he was under pressure a few times got loose and, and made good plays down the field I think he's going to have a good uh good season for those guys and you know, it was pretty easy to see why he was highly regarded. I, I don't know too much in terms of the background and involved in with what happened at USC and why he ended up leaving. But, you know, as a quarterback prospect, he was he was pretty impressive. And, you know, obviously the ACC isn't the strongest conference around, especially at the quarterback position. And I think, you know, Corp will probably end up one of the better quarterbacks for Virginia sees this season. Wow. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, look at this game here. It's the first, If I'm not mistaken, the first time – Virginia's going to be playing a game in California, so that's got to be a pretty big trip for everybody. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk about that, actually, this week amongst the media and with different teleconferences we've had and press conferences with Coach London, and and they're putting a lot of effort into trying to make sure they're as prepared as possible. They're taking extra precautions in terms of trying to make sure that the kids stay hydrated all week, and they've got travel tips in terms of dealing with the jet lag and kind of getting acclimated to the time zone and, and everything that's going to go on. So they certainly haven't an aspect of the trip lightly um, in terms of physically how they'll react. I think the other big question has been, you know, what it'll be like mentally playing a, a program at USC stature in the, in the LA Coliseum, which is obviously a storied venue. And, you know, I, I think, the coaching staff has tried to do is downplay that aspect of things and, let the kids understand that, you know, you got to go out there and just take care of the things you can control and not get caught up in the things you can't control. But obviously it'll be a, uh, quite an environment and a, a big sort of departure for, you know, a lot of the kids on the Virginia team who are, you know, especially some of the younger guys playing bigger roles this year that won't have been in that sort of environment before. Yeah. I think, uh, Virginia returns 22 guys that played on that 2008 team that played against USC uh, a couple years back, so at least those guys will have the same some experience seeing this team and the kind of athletes that USC usually trots out there. I don't think weather's going to be a big deal. It's really actually cool right now. I'm not sure how this weekend's going to be, but it's, I don't think it'll probably be you know cooler weather than what you know the kids are used to seeing in Virginia. But I think that 7:30 game start. I mean, you're talking that's 10:30 on the East Coast. And, and going into the Coliseum, some of those intangibles might be little factors that, like you said, they're, they're working to try to work on right now. Yeah, I think they, you know, they're flying out on, on Thursday. They're going to spend the whole day there Friday and try to sort of get adjusted. And, you know, I think Coach London said specifically he'll try to keep the guys up a little bit later in the evening, let them sleep in a little bit, and just, you know, they've got a bunch of things they're going to try to do to be as prepared as possible. All right, well, let's look at the uh, – I guess we can look at the offense uh, side first. I mean, they got a lot of experience coming back at tight end, you know, young receivers, pretty much – I think it's a whole new uh, crew at running back, and you got a quarterback coming back with some experience. What's been the, the thought going you know, from spring ball and fall camp with this uh, Virginia offense? Well, for the most part, sort of all eyes have been on Mark Farrick, the fifth-year senior quarterback. Virginia's a really interesting um, – in an interesting situation, a quarterback where other than Verica, every other quarterback on the roster is a freshman, either true or redshirt, and nobody else other than Verica has ever taken a snap in a college game. So it's uh, pretty unique in terms of if something happens to Verica, boy, nobody knows what's going <laughs> to happen in terms of Virginia. But at the same time, Verica's a guy who he started you know, nine games in 2008 as a sophomore one year Lollick was dismissed from school. And he had some some really impressive moments. He had six 200-yard passing games in a row, led Virginia on a four-game winning streak. 
but he struggled with interceptions. And then last year in 2009, he almost got no chance to play at all as Virginia sort of platooned three guys. And, and when he did get in the game, he looked very much like he had lost his confidence. So for a Virginia offense that had finished outside of the top 100 nationally in total offense in each of the last four years, everybody was kind of pointing to Verica as, as the guy who, you know, if Virginia's going to get poor quarterback play again in 2010, it's going to be another long season for the offense. He played well in spring practice. He drew a lot of positive reviews from his coaches in camp. And then, you know, he opened up with a solid game Saturday night against Richmond. He was 24 out of 35 for 283 yards and a touchdown, and he didn't throw an interception, uh, which is a big deal for, for him and his team. So it was a positive start for him. He's a kid who, when he's on and, and playing with confidence, he, he really he throws a pretty ball. He, he can make all the throws. You know, he's definitely got some upside, but I think what will be interesting to see is when he has to deal with some adversity, which is almost certain to happen on Saturday night, how he'll how he'll deal with that and if he'll, you know, be able to step up and, and play like the veteran, which is what the, the coaches are hoping. Was that a point of contention last year when they, they were platooning so many guys at quarterback? And I think some people, at least people, some people I talked to, thought that Verica would come in and, and try to be the guy last year and start the whole year. Well, I think what happened is the way that the season ended, you know, Virginia got off to a terrible start last year, and then they won four games in a row and headed into November at 5-3 and three and actually, you know, tied or in first place in the ACC, and they lost their last four games of the year. Excuse me, this is 2008. Um, ended up 5-7, and seven, and Verica threw a bunch of interceptions and had a costly fumble that cost him a game. And, and it seemed like his – propensity for turning the ball over just completely lost him all favor with the coaching staff, especially Al Groh. And he just kind of got buried at the number three spot and never really saw the light of day except sort of to get tossed into the mix for a series here, there, in like six games last season. So uh, I'm not sure he got fair shake in the world from the old coaching staff in terms of some of the positives that, you know, his play resulted in, in in 2008. But there was no question that when he did get the limited chances he got in 2009, he sort of looked like a, a shell of the player who had had so much success a year earlier. Man, it's so important, confidence. I, th- You know, you mentioned Aaron Court before. It's, I think that's some of the thing when someone comes in and you might be second or third and, and you just don't play up to the ex- you know up to the level that you could play at when you were listed at, as the first guy. And it sounds like that's happened with him. But he's clearly the number one guy now. I mean, everyone, no one else is even taking a snap. Right, yeah, there's there's no question. And they, ha- they haven't even really decided what they would do if something happened to Eric. I don't even think they've settled on a firm number two guy yet. And you would think, you know, even ahead 34 to 13 in the fourth quarter, Virginia got the ball back with about five minutes to go in the game the other night. And they still uh, they left Eric in. You, you would have thought maybe that would have been a good time to get a guy a series just to put him out there. And they, they still – um, didn't do that. So it, it's going to be up to Verica. And like I said, he's a guy when he, when he plays well, really good. And then he can also look really bad at times based on the past, but he got off to a good start and he certainly has regained the kind of trust of his teammates and they believe in him. And I think the coaches think he sort of has a firm grasp on sort of managing the game and understanding that he doesn't have to go out there and win games by himself, but it's his task not to go out there and lose games by making poor decisions and and bad throws. Well, let's look at defense a little bit. I think uh, probably Virginia defense was known for the the great pass defense they played last year. It looked like really good against Aaron Corp as well in in Richmond in the first game. Uh, I think even the run defense was pretty good. They gave up one big play in the first quarter, like a 70-yard run or something like that. But otherwise, it seemed to shut down the run pretty good. What what have you thought about the the defense overall from spring and fall and then going into the first game? I actually think the defense has a chance to be pretty good. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, One of the interesting things about the – Richmond game is that Virginia probably played without its two best defensive players. That's cornerback Ross I. Dowling, who's a preseason All-American, uh, according to some publications, and a guy who's projected to go pretty high in the draft uh, next April. And then Rodney McLeod, a junior safety, who, for my money, 
is as good a football player as Virginia has. Neither one of those guys played last week and sort of it's tough to get a straight answer out of the coaches on their status right now, but reading between the lines, it would sort of seem that Dowling is probable for this week and McLeod may be questionable. Um, but without those two guys, I thought the defense did a heck of a job. You know, when, when those two guys come back, there's no question that Virginia's secondary is its, is its strength. Uh, in addition to them, they have Chase Minifield at cornerback who had a tremendous game Saturday night. His dad was obviously a Frank Minifield who, um, you know, was an outstanding player in the, in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns or cornerback and, you know, Corey Mosley's another solid safety. So they're pretty good in the secondary, especially when healthy. And they're pretty good on the defensive line. they got a nice mix there, uh, especially in terms of some experience. Obviously, they're moving from a 3-4 scheme to a 4-3 scheme. But I think that's actually helping some of the personnel they have, especially a defensive tackle where they've got a nice rotation working there with Nick Jenkins, Matt Conrath and John Kevin Dulce. The the big question is at linebacker where they're playing a lot of young guys and guys who are not only playing for the first time, but playing linebacker for the first time. Both of their starting outside linebackers were safeties a year ago, uh, have been moved to outside linebacker in, a, in an effort to get the defense faster. So, you know, there's some questions about those guys, but a guy in particular to keep an eye on would be number nine, Leroy Reynolds, who has been drawing rave reviews throughout the spring, throughout camp, and he came out Saturday night and was just sensational. He led the team in tackles with eight, had three tackles for losses, and he's a kid can really run. So they're excited about him. But I, I think overall the, the linebackers would still have to be considered probably the sort of the, the question mark Virginia defense. All right, and then uh, USC's got a new special teams coordinator, John Baxter. They've been doing a lot more special teams in practice. With Mike London, what's been the special teams philosophy and how do they look so far? Well, he, they've said all the right things leading up to the season. That You know, they're going to play the best guys on special teams. It's an important part of the game. Um, you know, you got to get your best players out there because it's typically a, a one-place situation where you got to get the job done, and if you don't, it can have a huge impact on the game. But but they were not very good Saturday night in terms of special teams. The, the kick coverage wasn't very good. Uh, a couple of the kickoffs weren't very good. A couple of line drives, it really made it tough for the coverage units to really do much. Uh, they dropped a the kickoff, and they were able to recover it but not get any sort of return. The punt return and let a ball go over his head. They cost him about 25 yards. You know, and they missed both the field they tried, even though they were 50 and 51 yards. So I don't think anybody on the Virginia side was pleased at all with the, with the special team's performance Saturday night, and that's an area that's going to have to be up going forward because this is a football team that's, you know, clearly kind of dealing with a small margin of error on both sides of the ball. All right. Well, let's uh, one last thing before we let you go. I think uh, USC fans were pretty happy with the offense, the way they played in Hawaii. Barkley, uh, Mark Tyler, Ronald Johnson, everyone looked good. They, they're they pretty happy with special teams. They worked on it a lot. I, I think there was high expectations that the kicking game would be good and that, you know they got a punt return for a touchdown and, and covered kicks well. So it, it was a lot better, I think, than years past. The big question mark for USC was on defense. They gave up 588 yards to a a fast Hawaii team. I think a lot of people wanted to know is what, what like the style of offense is Virginia and, and probably just like, a, you know, I'm sure they're looking at film. They must be the, the Virginia offense must be licking their chops a little bit, seeing how many yards the USC defense gave up last week. Well, it's, it's going to be for the, for the USC fans, it's going to be almost a complete 180 in terms of what you, what you saw last week and what you'll see this week. Virginia just, strictly a power eye team. They're going to play, you know, with a fullback. They're going to play a lot of two tight end sets. They're going to try to step up and run the ball. Last week they passed for 283 yards, rushed for 205 yards. And the running game really sort of opened things up in the passing game. They've got a couple of different looks at running back. Got Perry Jones, who's about 5'8 and 185 pounds. He's lightning quick, got great feet you know, sort of a scat back type. And then they go to the opposite end of the spectrum with Keith Payne, 
who's, uh, this isn't a mistake, six foot three, 255 pound tailback. Woo. <laughs> uh, rushed for 114 yards and four touchdowns last week. He's a load and, you know, they line up in the power eye with that guy tailback, a fullback and a couple of tight ends and they'll play a little smash mouth. So I, I think it'll, it'll be a departure from what, you know, Hawaii was obviously doing in terms of spreading the field and chucking the ball around and, um, you know, I think one of the big keys will be how USC defends the Virginia running game because if Virginia has some success on the downs, it'll open things up with the play-action passing game, and they do a good job of spreading the ball around in, in, in that regard, throwing it to the tight ends, throwing it to the backs. So it, it's going to be sort of more of a pro-style offense, I think, than definitely than what you saw last week, no question about it. But I don't think anybody on the Virginia side is licking their chops, <laughs> the way you put it. They know how talented those guys are over there and, you know, how fast they are. So they know it's going to be quite a challenge. You know, it'll be interesting to see, especially, I think, how your secondary plays in terms of, you know, like I said, if Virginia has some success running the ball and the safety start biting off some play-action fakes, you know, Virginia might have a chance to hit a few big plays in the passing game against a, a young defensive backfield but but overall it should be sort of more of a more of a chess match than last week's game for you guys which was just a wide open sort of sandlot type type thing against Hawaii well it'll definitely be interesting to see Chris and we appreciate all the insight uh no one does it better on the Virginia beat than Chris Wallace CavsCorner.com. Chris thank you so much for joining us and uh enjoy the game and hope you have a great season this year okay thanks Ryan you too All right, everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday, a week from today, talking USC Trojan football. Stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.